Amen. Thank you, Patty. Appreciate that. Great is your faithfulness. Um, before I dive into my passage this morning in 2 Corinthians 11, I just want to give thanks for a few things. One is for the sweet Virginia breeze. And I walked out this morning. Our weather has been all over the place. It's been cold. It's been muggy. But this morning was the sweet Virginia breeze that I love and appreciate. So I just want to thank God for that. Also, I want to um, thank the Lord for Corky, wherever he went. Um, oh, he just took up the offering. Anyway, he, I, I appreciate the way he brings the word. And he stood in for uh, pulpit duty last Sunday and brought a great message um, on the gospel and what is the gospel and the need for us to understand it and continue to preach the gospel to ourselves even after we're saved. And so I, uh, Lisa and I got, had an opportunity to listen to that sermon on Tuesday on our way back from Maryland. I was in Maryland last, well actually I was in Pennsylvania and Maryland. Um, went to Pennsylvania for a wedding in Bucks County and then to visit my mom in Baltimore County, Maryland. Um, so, but we are back, but thank you, Corky, for preaching last week. Appreciate that. Did a great job. He said something, you know, there's always something that, that stands out when you listen to things. And one of the things that stood out to me in his message that just helped bring clarification to, to my thinking was the description on the different courtrooms, the God's courtroom, and then the courtroom of our, our own conscience. And our conscience works like a courtroom where we're bearing judgment, we're comparing things. And I liked the idea that our conscience, our own little courtroom doesn't always agree with God's courtroom, but it does. So God makes pronouncements and he has pronounced us righteous in Christ um, based on the works of Christ. That was a great teaching. I appreciate that clarity. We began, uh, thank you Noah and worship team, and they called us to worship this morning. And our first song, the very first words, or at least the chorus is, this is my story. You know, and I, and I just, as we were singing that hymn, tried and true hymn, I was thinking about our nation and our, the tragedy and just all the things that are going on in the world. And when tragedies like this happen, they do shake us. And then all of a sudden, you know, we want answers to everything. We want to understand everything. How could something like this happen and what can we do about it? And so I think that without going off too far on a tangent, as we we try to make sense of our world and the evil that's in it, and how can something like this happen... Speaking of the elementary school shootings in Texas. There's a lot of different answers that's complicated. But it wasn't just the elementary school children. But the perpetrator was 18 years old. Practically a kid. I think one of the things that... um, Or one of the answers is that we have generations or we have people that don't know the story. They don't know their story. And when you don't know your story, you don't know what life is all about, why we're here, where we're going. There's not a consistent 
track of what really is right, what really is wrong, then we're left to make our own decisions. We're left to make sense out of our own world, and we're not able to do that because of our sinful nature. We don't land in the right place. I'm grateful that God, by His grace, has given us His Word, Holy Scripture, that enables us to know our story. And we're able to trust Him in that. And our passage really, I think, goes well with that because it has to do with taking our thoughts' obedience to our, our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. And Paul, in talking to the Corinthians, reminds us of the spiritual battle that takes place in the unseen realm, and it's the battle of the mind. As I think about my passage this morning, how, how I wish that this perpetrator would have taken his thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Somewhere that's, that's an answer to the problem of evil, the problem of tragedy. Is taking our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. And for Paul to even say that means that Christ deserves our obedience. It means that he's our authority. He's over us. And we owe it to him. We owe it to him because he created us. He brought us into this world. And we owe it to him because he is the sovereign king. It's, it's a matter of obedience and authority. If we take our, um, if when the kids were little and we take them to the babysitters or to Grammy and Grampies or to whoever's house, we would say, now you need to obey Mr. and Mrs. such and such. So there was a transfer of authority because in our absence, they're in charge. And this is a passage and it's the mind, a battle of the mind where we have to Submit to the authority, the person that's in charge of even our thought life. What we're allowed to think, the seedbed of creativity. And that's Jesus Christ. So as we think about our passage this morning, it goes well. We're going to be in chapter 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the first six verses. But it goes very well with the first six verses of chapter 10, which was the passage about taking your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Paul goes into a little greater detail in talking about the battle of the mind and how things actually work. And it's really a part of our story. It's a part of the world that we live in. And we need to be aware of this. And we were reminded in these six verses last time I spoke on this passage that Paul is defending himself. He didn't, want to, he didn't want to have to speak this way to the Corinthians, but they forced his hand because they weren't seeing the obvious. The obvious was that they are being duped. They're sitting under false teaching, and these false teachers are undermining the apostle and his methods of ministry and so forth. And so uh, they're making themselves look great and calling into question all that the apostle Paul has Accomplished. They want to take credit for what he has accomplished. So he had hoped that they would have seen through this deception, but they didn't. And so he has to speak foolishly. He has to speak a little, what he would say, boastfully, which really isn't boastful. It's just the truth. But he's uncomfortable with even speaking about himself. So that's where we are. But in this argument or defense, he gives us a great example of what the battle of the mind looks like, how it works, say, in the unseen realm. 
So let's look at our passage, the first six verses of 2 Corinthians 11. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another, Jesus Then the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles, even if I am unskilled in speaking. I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. I've already spoken about the foolishness and the false teachers and so forth. And I want to zero in on verse 3. Paul is very concerned and, and he is telling us how he sees what's happening. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And he's, he's, in essence, he's saying, my, my concern is that you are being deceived just as Eve was being deceived or was deceived in the garden. In other words, I, I just see it. It's happening again. It's happening again. The enemy has come. The serpent has come with his craftiness, with his, his rationale, his narrative or his story. And he has entered into the picture. He's in your head, inserting thoughts and ideas, ways to look at things. And he is tricking you. He's tricking you. He's deceiving you. You're drawing wrong conclusions. You're, re- you're listening to wrong things. Now, they have been under the hearing of Paul's voice. And Paul brought them the gospel. He brought them God's word. He brought them truth. The paths of righteousness. But there's other voices at play. And unfortunately, these voices aren't leading people to God. They're leading him away from God. When the enemy is involved in anything, you can always know for sure that it's never good. And he has a vendetta against God because he wants to be God. And so his aim is to destroy the things of God and to rob God of his glorious creation. He's a deceiver. He comes in disguise. He pretends that he's something he's not. And one of the ways that he deceives us is he wants us to believe a lie so that we become actors in a world or in a little story, in a scenario that is does not line up with reality. And Paul wants to nip this in the bud if he can because he sees where false teaching and false narratives and false stories can bring not just an individual, but an entire community or family. So they're being duped. The snake is slithering into their world, influencing them. So what's the big deal about this? Well, 
when it comes to our thoughts and our minds, our, our heads lead our bodies. See, our, our bodies do what our minds tell them to do. And so wrong thinking winds up being wrong acting, wrong behavior. And we want to live in harmony with truth. So the brain is the control center. And in essence, the Apostle Paul is saying, Houston, we have a problem. We have a problem here. So this, this new information, this new knowledge, that the, the, the voices that are in their heads are not of the knowledge of God. And so the Apostle Paul wants to address their thinking, address their minds. And it's an interesting approach because I think to myself, all right, if I'm, if I'm an apostle, and one of the churches that I planted and the dear saints that I spent time with and watched them grow in the Christ, in the Lord. And now I hear or get word that there's a false teacher there, or false teachers. What might be my approach? Well, I think probably what I would do is say, grab them, get them out of the church, kick them out of town. Remove them from your presence. And there's a, there's a time for that, Sure where we, we either remove ourselves or remove them. But the apostle goes after the root of the problem, and that is the mind, because just because we remove what we would consider the evil influence doesn't mean it, it, it's not in us as well. So you can remove, you can change the consequences, that, but that does not necessarily mean that the problem is solved because the root is what we think, what we believe. How much of the wrong thinking is now in my life? So changing the circumstances or the consequent or yeah, the circumstances um, is often helpful and there's a, a place for that. But the root is clear thinking, pure thinking. Because whoever owns the mind or whoever controls the mind controls the feet. And controls the hands because our mind is the root. God designed it that way. We're thinking people. Reasoning people. So that's where the primary battle is. Now we live in a world where we're constantly told to change our circumstances. And not get at the root. The root seems to always be somebody else's problem. You need to get out of this. You need to change this. Change your friends, change your marriage, change your jobs, change your circumstances. But that does not always fix the problem if the problem is in our own minds and it's wrong thinking. And to, to, to think about or to talk about our minds in God's story, we also have to talk about the serpent because the serpent is active. Satan is active in our thought life. He is a real presence. And the mind is where he likes to work. So isn't it interesting that even though Corinthians is ancient to us, he takes it back even farther to something that is ancient to them, all the way back to the beginning of the time in the garden. And he gives an example. But it's the same snake. 
Isn't it profound that we live in the same world as Adam and Eve lived in? Same God, same serpent. Now, our world has changed, you know, this side of the flood. There's been some drastic change, but this is the same world. It will change again when Christ returns. But we live in the same world that Adam and Eve, the same world that the serpent lives in, and it's the same God, the same snake. You know, if you, if you read the news, or if you read the news, actually, the way the news works these days is there's a story that catches all the headlines, and it's just in your face for one, two weeks, and then you never knew it happened. Because something else took its place. So this is actually old news now. And you'll be like, oh yeah. But if you read the news at all, you will remember what happened at the Oscars just not even two months ago in late March. During the Oscars award ceremony. Because it stayed, that's all we heard about. So here's what happens. Comedian Chris Rock, he's hosting it. And he is a comedian, and he cracked a joke about Will Smith's wife. Uh, Will Smith did not appreciate that at all. I think he saw the response of his wife. And he literally walks up in the middle of the ceremony and slaps Chris Rock in the face hard. People call it the slap heard round the world. Play on words from the shot heard round the world for one of the world wars. And then he got back in his seat and uh, gave a few curse words of what he thought about what had taken place in the incident. So you know about that, but that's not what caught my attention, uh, at least solely. It was what he said after this incident. It was what he did after this incident is he gave a speech and he quotes Denzel... Washington. And he says this. Denzel said to me a few minutes ago, in your highest moments, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. The devil in Hollywood. The devil at the Oscars. The devil working in people's minds and people's heads. Even there, even in celebrities... So according to Denzel, that's the same one. The same people. So maybe Genesis is not so ancient or far off as we may think. So let's look at Genesis and, uh, and meditate on this verse. So I don't have all the answers, by the way. And there's a lot of different directions that people take this, even this particular passage. But let's look at it in light of Paul's reflection. Genesis 3, 4 through 6. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes... And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some of her husband, some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. 
The first thing I want to look at is, is the deception. Again, there's lots of different ways, lots of different conclusions that we can draw. But, but the bottom line has something to do with the deception is you don't need God. Uh, you, you, you got this. You can do this on your own. In fact, um, you know, God created you with the ability to reason, decide, to look, to observe, to learn. And so you have the ability to, to no longer need him. You can be wise on your own. You don't need him telling you what to do. As a matter of fact, you will be in a better place, happier place, if you make your own decisions. He has you in some kind of bondage, some kind of slavery. He's holding you back. So you can be self-sufficient. You have everything you need to take care of yourself. It's a, you're a DIY project. You can do whatever needs to be done. Have it your way. Be your own boss. There's a lot of different ways that we can look at this. So the, the deception is that you don't need God. You can operate independently. Whereas God had clearly spoken and set the terms of what would happen if they did not obey, they, he twists it. Trust your own thinking. Just look at the situation. Use your brain. Use your emotions. Bring it to the table. What do you see? What do you think about this situation? Because actually... That fruit, nothing wrong with that fruit. As if to say that God is not telling you, not only is he holding things back, but he's not telling you the complete truth. So Satan wants us to be, create our own world, our own reality, and, and then act or pretend as if it's true. Because if we live in a world as if there isn't a God and there is a God, then we're just playing the game. We're just deceiving ourselves. We're actors. We're trying to play a role that's not real. And we can make it look like we're in complete control, but that's not really who we are. That's not really how things work. It's interesting that our... We hear so much about self-worth, self-image these days. It's because uh, people really don't know who they are. And they, because they don't know their origins or they don't know their story, you might say, they desperately look to others to tell them. And so we look to man's approval. Well, who, who do you say that I am? What should I be? I don't know my story. And we have, we have... People of all ages desperately trying to figure, well, what's my worth? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to act? And it makes humanity very vulnerable and very confused because there's so many different mixed messages out there. Approval is a great thing, but that's not who we are or what we are. That only comes from God. So to put it in spiritual terms... I always get nervous when um, I'm talking to somebody about heaven or salvation and they assure me that they are going to heaven because they obey the Ten Commandments. And that usually tells me they're not going to heaven because they're basing their salvation on their performance. They're basing who they are on uh, their, uh, some kind of uh, approval outs or some kind of 
achievement that they have accomplished. And yet Jesus says you, you can't get to heaven unless you're born again. What's that? That's birth, it's origin, it's not performance. Christ performed what we can't perform on our own. So we get to heaven by our identity in Christ. We get to heaven through the new birth. You, have, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. That's something that was achieved for us through Christ. He, God regenerates us. He makes us what we are. We're, we're born we're into the kingdom. We don't work our way into the kingdom. That's the gospel that Corky was explaining last week. Satan wants us to look at life in just the opposite terms. Uh, keep trying on outfits of your identity till you find the right one. Sooner or later, try this and that. Sooner or later, you'll find it. But it's, the grass is always greener on the other side. And so we have people running from this role into that role and never really knowing where they fit. That's not how you find yourself. You find yourself in Christ. So he deceives us with the thoughts of independence. You can do it. You don't even need God in this world. Have you ever fallen for that? Self-sufficiency. I don't need God. Sometimes it looks like we don't. But that's only because God has provided for us so well. Second is the technique. So here's how he pulls it off. He fills Eve's head with lies. Some of them are outright lies. Some of them are half-truths. If, if it was so blatant, then we wouldn't fall for it, right? It's not very tricky if you make it so obvious. So he contradicts God. You won't die. You don't need God. He's holding out on you. And actually, you can see the truth for yourself. Use your eyes, your God-given eyes and your God-given brain. God doesn't want you to be like him. So this whole idea causes humanity to swell with pride, which are thoughts that are higher than reality. We begin to think of ourselves higher than we should and higher than we really are as having capabilities that we don't. So he rattles off enticing thoughts. That's his goal. That's what he does. So the technique is this. Satan has a plan. He has agenda. He has Enticing arguments, deceptive arguments, steps to draw conclusions, and he proposes those to us. He invites us to think that way. He, ins he inserts his thoughts into our reasoning. And his hope is that we will fall for it. And his technique is that what he, what he wants is for us to own his lies and his thinking, his story, as if it's our own. And you see it take place right in this narrative. So he suggests these things about God. He suggests that she will not die. And see, this is just regular fruit. He showcases one clever idea after another. And what does she do? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and by the way, it was a fruit tree, and very likely didn't look any different than any other tree that she was allowed to eat from. It was just a fruit tree. She sees with her own eyes the material essence there. 
But then there was this spiritual transition or transaction that took place. There's something that you can't see with your eyes. So she sees that it was a delight to the eyes. Okay? But then she sees that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Now, how can you see that? With your eyes. How can you see with your eyes that if I eat this, I actually will increase my IQ and my understanding of myself in the world? You can't see that in the fruit. That's a belief. That's a spiritual transaction. Now what she sees, she's believing something will take place. It's, it's her idea. Now, yeah, if I eat this, it will make me wiser. So she has adopted the lie of Satan as if it's her own idea. It makes perfect sense to her. It's a good thing for her to do. Now she's a salesman of the idea, a salesman of evil, and says, Adam, how about you join me in this? And he does. She's convinced. So we live in a world where Satan tells so many lies in so many different ways that we think they're our own ideas. We own them for ourselves, and that's when he has us. We begin to think like him, and we begin to think that life works as he says it works. That's a dangerous place to be. You see why the Apostle Paul is concerned about this. And we live in a world where we demand that People just accept us for who we are, accept us for the story that we choose to believe, whether it's true or not. I can't help myself if this is who I am and the way I've been made. You just have to accept me for who I am. I can't control my temper or I I can't stop my addiction. It's just the, the world I live in. It's who I am or Uh, I'm worthless, obviously, because everybody tells me I'm worthless. So that's just who I am. And that's how life works. If you think about a lot of the thoughts in our minds that come our way. Ask yourself, is that something God would say to you? Like this marriage cannot work. Is that something that would come from God? Isn't God a God of hope and a God of light? Or my life has no hope. There's, there's too much bad that has happened to it. I have no reason to live. Is that the voice of God? Isn't God the God that rose from the dead? And doesn't he always have our best interest at mind? He's loving and merciful and wise. And yet how many times, even in one given day, even in my own head, do, do lies pass through and I have to decide... Do I believe this or not? So you can look at the exact same object. See, Eve looked at the exact same object. There was nothing different about the circumstances. In fact, nothing was removed. And one day she sees the tree in her life as God has explained it. And then now she sees it as the serpent has explained it. And it made a profound difference. Same stuff, same material. Now she thinks this is her idea and this is how life works. Paul called this uh, the arguments, their arguments, its basis 
for what we back in chapter 10 and lofty opinions. Those are the arrogant opinions that we have. They're beyond our own mind. So there's that snake trapping, wrapping himself, squeezing his subjects there in Corinth because they're beginning to adopt his ideas as their own. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual, uh, it's, a, it's a battle of the mind and they're falling for it hook, line, and sinker. How can she see that it would make her wise? She thinks it will. It's an abstract thought. It's, it's a spiritual decision. She wants it for herself. She has been seduced. The Corinthians are being seduced. And Paul is intervening with tools of reason and truth. So think about how this works. Look at um, a couple of examples. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. First Chronicles 21, 1 through 2. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the army, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring me a report that I may know their number. See how the idea is? Injected and then owned as if it's a great idea that I came up with. John 13, 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. It was already in there. The decision was already made. The dirty work had already been done. Acts 5, 2 through 4. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. He believed a lie about his own land that he was in control of to begin with. He had perfect freedom to do what he wanted with that land. He didn't have to lie about it. Matthew 16, 22 and 23, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This should never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Thoughts that are not according to the knowledge of God infiltrating even people of God. Peter of all people not thinking the things of God. When did his thinking shift to worldly things and worldly ways? Not even kingdom originated. So we adopt these things. Take them in as a part of our family, our own thoughts. And they have grave consequences. Pun intended. So do we invite or did they invite the enemy? Hey, sit down at the table, help me make this decision. No. The enemy comes uninvited, comes in stealth often, in disguise as a great idea, something that will bring us to a better place than what God has planned for us. And we basically, in essence, in listening to his voice, become like him. We become his disciple. We bid his will. And just the opposite works, right? To become the disciple of Christ, a learner, a follower of Christ, 
we obey and believe him and we follow him and we become like him. So it's it's the reverse of how things ought to take uh, take place. Uh, rather than following evil, we follow good and truth. So Satan tempts us to think we don't need God, we can fix things ourselves, whatever comes our way. We got this, but we don't. Here's how Tony Evans puts it. In quicksand, so wait, uh, in this world we are in quicksand. And the worst thing you can do in quicksand is to try to save yourself because the more you fight to save yourself, the quicker you're going under. There's only one way to get out of quicksand, and that is somebody has to pull you out. God has to pull us out. The more we think we can do this ourselves, the worse mess we get into. The Bible calls Satan the father of lies. Isn't that interesting? The father of lies. So if he's a father of something, it must mean he has children. He has followers. John eight forty four, beginning in verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. What an indictment to the people of God. Now, this absolutely shocked them, the Pharisees, the leaders. Shocked them. They had no idea that, that anyone would perceive them from that angle. Accused them of not even knowing the God that they lived for and devoted their lives to. They're the only ones who stand for God in the world as far as they know. They did not know this. They were duped. They were deceived into thinking that they were something that they were not. Jesus spoke truth. You know, it makes me wonder, in our own world, we hear a lot about um, people who openly worship Satan. Are they as dangerous as those who don't even know? That they're worshiping or at least they're following Satan. It puts a different spin on this. And then third, the result. So what happens when we believe the lies that we look at the technique and we adopt them as our own? You lose what you need by going after the false version of what you already had. So what happened in, in real life? Adam and Eve they lived in a perfect world. They had no worries. They didn't have to worry about what they're going to eat. They didn't have to worry about what they were going to wear for sure. Because before the fall, they were in their birthday suits. They didn't have to worry about tension in relationships, betrayal, danger of any kind. I mean, it, it's the epitome of peace and harmony. They, they had all of these things. You didn't have to worry about loneliness, bad feelings, any of that. The future, 
They had everything that they needed to be as fulfilled as they possibly could be in their present state of creation. And that was all just God's gift. They were God-sufficient. They believed him. He created this. They believed it. They walked in his ways. Everything they needed. And now they're on their own. That which they had is gone. Now there's betrayal even within their own minds. They don't know if they can trust themselves. They blame shift. How quickly sin entered into the world. They, knew, they do not have a proper view of how things work anymore. They don't trust each other. They're hiding from God. They don't even know who God is anymore. Is he safe or not? What, how do I, what, what's happening with this relationship? They were kicked out. They lost their relationship or their right standing with God. And now everything's strained. Everything's tense. Everything's uncertain and, and painful. Hearts that lived in peace were filled with fear, insecurity, enmity, something that they did not know. Genesis 3, 9, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Enter now a world of dodging fears. We dodge one fear only to run into the arms of another fear. And now they're thinking this actually is all God's fault. Adam says, the woman you gave me, God, it's pretty much your fault. And how many times have we blamed God for our own messes? It's got to be your fault, God. Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't do this. Confused about the simplest of things. When we believe lies, we lose our clarity and we get confused about the simplest of things. We live in a world that can't make decisions anymore. Now, what is morality? We don't know. What's right and wrong? We don't know. It's nothing but confusion here. Adam and Eve had one decision to make, just one. And because they made the wrong decision, now we, our life is filled with all these decisions about what do we do, which way do we go. Oh, it's so complicated. Every hour on the hour. Do I go left or right? What do I do here? I'm not sure how to read what that person just said. What did they mean by that comment? Does this person like me or not? Am I doing the right thing or not? Paul says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. See, it's a leading astray. So the, the thoughts from Satan have a goal. Not to lead us to God in a place of peace and harmony, security and truth, but to lead us away from all of those things that would offer that. The simple Simple right and wrong, simple worship has us living in a tense state of confusion. So lastly, our response. John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So how do we respond to this? Whether we're 
saved or unsaved, Christian or not Christian. We respond by by admitting and confessing our dependency on God, the very thing that we renounced in the garden. I can do it myself. I have my own truth. I don't need you. No, I do need you. I absolutely need you. I confess you as the one and only true God. I can't have anything that I want in life without you. I want you to define everything that's important for me. So we confess our need. We bring ourselves back under the trust. Put our faith in God through Christ. It's, it's that reversal here. Now we want to be like him. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Trying to do it ourselves, it's like running on that hamster wheel. I mean, we're just sweating. I don't think hamsters sweat, but if you play with the metaphor a little bit, you're sweating, you're on treadmill. But if you're the hamster, you know, the door's right there. You're just inches away from freedom. But you can't get it. You need to be pulled out, just like the quicksand. You need to be delivered. You need to be pulled out. We cannot get where we need to go. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot, we cannot create or invent, invent our own truths to know that we're doing what's right and be satisfied. We need to be lifted out. And that's what Christ does to us when we give him control. Well, we just admit what's already there, what's already real. He's the sovereign king. He deserves our worship. He deserves our obedience, our love. And he will lead us to the green pastures. The serpent will lead us astray. The good shepherd speaks truth. The good shepherd and his truth set us free. And may the Lord set us free. From Satan's cunning and set our minds free to think the thoughts of Christ according to the knowledge of God. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning.